beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What's destroying people's lives today is that they're depending on human wisdom. There are two answers to every question. God's answer and everybody else's. And everybody else is wrong. You see, sometimes we look for glory based on our time. When God wants us to serve based on his time. Sometimes when Jesus tells us to do something, it won't make sense. It makes sense because of who it came from. Not necessarily because you understand it. Many people say, well, I believe in God while they reject Jesus. Can't happen. Because the Father and Son are intimately and intricately tied to one another. God has a standard and it's non-negotiable. And you can't earn it yourself. You have to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Freedom can be seen in the good news of the gospel. God wants people to be free for heaven, but he also wants them to be delivered from illegitimate bondage on earth. Jesus Christ is in a class by himself. You don't give him excuses. You give him all you got because he's the only one in the universe worthy of all you have. Well, good morning, church family. Welcome to Christmas in February. Now, um, I got to admit, I'm, uh, when I look out... Nobody else in the room wore their Christmas shirt except me. And I'm wondering, did you not get the memo? Did you not know that this morning is going to be Christmas in February? Now, um, just before you think that Pastor Rick's gone a little bit pupule, <laughs> um, you need to know that this is, as uh, was being shared with you already, this is our first message in the Gospel of John. And the first chapter of the Gospel of John it's about Christmas, so it is indeed Christmas in February, and I'm sorry you didn't get the memo and wear your Christmas duds, but uh, I'm happy to wear mine at least. Christmas is all about lights, it's all about family, it's all about Jesus coming into the world. And John chapter 1 is all about Jesus coming into the world, and it's about lights, and it's about family. Now, um, I've got to tell you, Martha and I this year, this, just this past Christmas, we decided to really go overboard on the festivities. We've always, as a family, loved putting up lights, Christmas trees, lights, and festivities. Um, but we had grandkids coming from the mainland this year. And we have grandkids here in Hawaii. And we thought, for the grandkids' sake, let's, um, let's go nuts. Let's go overboard. Let's really do it with the lights. So I want to share with you something about what happened at our house. We, we, we uh, really kind of overdid it, overdid ourselves with the lights. Uh, the first picture, um, uh, I hope... Uh, hang on, Jaina, if you can go back to the one with the tree. It starts with uh, the one, in the, uh, there we go. There's the living room. We got Christmas tree, but look in the ceiling. We'd never done lights in the ceiling before. This year, we did lights in the ceiling. And then the, uh, the second one, uh, we had lights in the living room. Um, if we can uh, go to the next one. Well, that's above the door. Um, we never done lights above the, the door before. There's lights in the door. Uh, we'll go to the next one. You'll get the idea. Lights in the kitchen. We'd never done lights in the kitchen before. We put up lights in the kitchen. And uh, the next one, where's that? Oh, that's lights in the, uh, the living room where the kids were on the left-hand side. 
we literally had a Christmas tree in every room. And of course, it was to impress the grandkids, to have a spectacle for the grandkids. And on the right-hand side, lights on the lanai. If you look outside, and that doesn't do justice to it, but I got these cool solar lights, and these cool, they're not in the picture, but these cool little Christmas trees, and um, they soak up the sun, they're solar during the day, and then at 6.30, I'd tell the kids, the light show's going to start at 6.30, and sure enough, 6.30, all of these little Christmas trees with their solar lights would start blinking, and, and, and it was fabulous, and uh, let's see if there's any more there. There was lights, oh, this was my favorite Christmas ornament, okay? And yes, there's, uh, there's lights in the family room, and if you can read it, these are all little munchkins that represent my grand... This was actually a Christmas gift from my son, Stephen, okay? So we got, uh, we got uh, starting from the left there, who's there? Oh, Esther and Jude and Micah and Ambrose and Lucy and Willow. We got one for every grandkid. Oh, it was tough to take that down. I wanted to leave that up all year. That was my favorite Christmas ornament. But behind it was lights, and I don't know if there's any more pictures. The point was there was lights in every room and family. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about lights, and it's about family, and it's about Jesus coming. Oh, here's another. Now, this was actually last year's shot. Um, but uh, did you see, did you see the, uh, the pajamas? We are family. Michael Jackson plagiarized the Bible because the Bible is all about Christmas and lights and family. And this was a picture from last year. We actually didn't get a, a picture with everybody. But you know what? I don't have a picture of you and me uh, in the same pajamas. <laughs> now, we're church family, but what would what, what put people wearing the same pajamas? It's family, right? You don't mind wearing the same pajamas as other people if you're family. My point is simply this. Christmas is about lights, and it's about family. When we come to the Gospel of John, I think that's it for... Uh, um, yes. Um, just to let you know that, that uh, when we come to the Gospel of John... We come to a passage that's about light, and it's about family, and it is the most profound. I've been persuaded this last week as I've studied it in preparation for this morning. This passage we're going to read and study together this morning, it is the most powerful, profound, single passage in all of the New Testament, in all of the Bible, about who Jesus is. We could get into a, a theological debate afterwards. It might be interesting. Well, what about Philippians chapter 2? That's a pretty powerful passage. Yeah, but this is, this is, if not the, one of the most profound, powerful revelations about who Jesus is. And yes, it's about Christmas. So let's read together uh, John chapter 1. It'll come up on the screen. And let's read that um, the... Um, the, uh, the fact that um, this is this uh, profound, powerful passage about who Jesus is. Let's read about who he is and also why he came into the world. Those are the two things that this passage will tell us. Who Jesus is and why he came into the world. So let's read together. John chapter 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning, and we heard Pastor Tony Evans read this. In the beginning was the word. What does that mean? We'll see in a minute. It's one of the most profound. It's the only, only John of all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only John uses this word about Jesus, but it's a very powerful word. We'll look at its meaning. Jesus is the word, and the word was, catch this, with God. He's distinct from God, but he was God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made, 
nothing was made that has been made. Think about that next time you're out at the beach. The turtles, the koolows, the palm trees, the sky, everything was made by Jesus. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Did you see that? Jesus coming into the world, he's the light. He's the light. That's where we get this idea of Christmas lights. That's why we go bananas and put lights up all over, because Jesus is the light at Christmas time. He was the light of all mankind. Oh, and by the way, I skipped over this. Let me reverse the truck for a moment. It says he was with God, and we're going to see he's the son of God. Think about that for a moment. He, Jesus is separate from the Father, and we're getting a, an insight into the mystery of the triune God. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although he's not mentioned in this passage. We know it from the rest of the scriptures. But God reveals as Father and Son. What's Father and Son? That's family. That's family. God is revealing himself in, in family terms, and he's saying it starts with family, and it starts with lights. <laughs> See, these are, the, these are the ideas of Christmas. Family, Jesus is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. His name was John Mason. He turned 75 years old. To, well, actually, it wasn't John Mason. It was John the Baptist. John's old, but he's not this old. <laughs> His name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light. See light? Light. Christmas is all about the light. John the Baptist came to give testimony about the light. That's why we went nuts putting lights all over our house. The light was coming into the world. He was in the world. Jesus. And though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to those who which, to, to uh, that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He was the rejected Messiah. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who what? Believed in his name. He gave the right to become what? Children of God. Family. <laughs> That's children, right? Family. Didn't have grandkids in there, and they're even more better than kids, but... It's family. It started out with Jesus in family relationships, I'm going to say, in community, in relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Spirit the pre-existent Jesus, and it ends up with sons and daughters in the family. Children born not of natural descent, they're not human family, or of human decision, physical family, a husband's will, but born of God. This is God's family. This is a spiritual family that goes beyond the physical family. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. There's no one else like him, totally distinct, unique, who came from the Father, separate from the Father, but came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Who is this person, Jesus? Why did he come into the world? That's what John, through the Holy Spirit, wants to tell us this morning. And he tells us several things about who Jesus is. And you can follow along. And by the way, if you don't have an app, that's more reason to get an app, because you can download these notes for your, your memory refreshment later. But John tells us several things about this awesome person, Jesus. He is the Word, Greek logos. Now, this is a rich and profound concept because John is speaking to the entire world. In the Greek mind at his day, the Greek mind, logos, meant a philosophical principle, a philosophical founding powerful principle that gave uh, birth to the universe, that there was a, a, a first cause principle philosophically that brought unity and order. When they looked at the universe around them, there's unity and order. Where did that come from? There must have been some founding, powerful principle. John is saying to the Greek mind, yes, there's this founding principle behind the universe, but he's a person. He's a person. His name's Jesus. And he actually came into the world, and we saw him in our neighborhood. And he's the personal creator of the universe. That's his point. To the Greek mind, he's saying what you think of as a philosophical principle that gave um, order and unity to the universe. His name is Jesus. He's a person, and he's lived in our neighborhood, and we've seen him, and we want to tell you about him. Now, to the Hebrew mind of the day, logos, word, meant um, the self-expression of God. The, the, by, by the way, um, his, his agent in creation. Because the scriptures taught Hebrew people that by the word of the Lord, by the logos of the Lord, the heavens were made. And so to the Hebrew mind, logos meant that, that agent of creation and also the, the self-expression of God through the law. Because his word were his decrees, his law he'd given to Israel, not to other nations, but he'd given them the law. And when you put those things together... John is saying to the Hebrew mind, that self-expression, that powerful agent of creation, the one who has revealed the Father in the law, he's a person, his name's Jesus, and he came and lived in our zip code, and, and we've seen his glory. He's the one and only son. What, what John is saying to the entire world, Greek mind, Hebrew mind, is Jesus is this person who's the personal creator, not just some uh, abstract philosophical, he's a person, and we've met him, and we've seen him. And he's saying to the Hebrew mind that the greatest expression, self-revelation of God is this person, Jesus. He lived among us. We saw him. We ate with him. We walked with him. We saw him do his miracles. We've seen his glory. And this amazing logos, the word of God, has become flesh, and we've been with him. And that's his message. He is the personal creator. He is the, the personal self-revelation of God, the logos. As so, as such, he is the pre-existent son of God. He existed from eternity past. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, distinct from the Father. The word was God, pre-existent from eternity past, a full member of the triune God. And yes, family. Family. It started with family. I'm going to use that word of the Trinity because God's words are father, son, and it's an insight none, none of us can, 
can fathom the mystery of, of the triune God of the universe. But God is saying family relationships, father, son. We know God is perfect love, pure love, absolute love. And uh, in a family relationship, in the father's family relationship, there's pure love, perfect love, absolute love, father, son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect love together. And so he's pre-existent son of God, and um, he's also life and light. And John is uh, referencing the creation account where God spoke physical light into darkness, and he spoke physical life where there was uh, uh, chaos, where there was disorder and emptiness. He, he brought physical life, and he's saying with Jesus, we've got God bringing spiritual life. Jesus is that spiritual life the way, the truth, and the life. And he's that relationship with God. He's eternal life. He goes beyond this life. And he's brought the, the light of spiritual light, revelation from God. And he is life, and he is light. He is all of these things. And yes, he's the, uh, the rejected Messiah. He came to his covenant people. He came to the nation he had chosen. And they didn't recognize him, and their wicked leadership actually crucified him. But through that crucifixion, he brought life and eternal life and spiritual life to anyone who would believe. And so, yes, the rejected Messiah became the life giver for all mankind. But he was the rejected Messiah and we're reminded of his crucifixion with those words. He came to give his life on the cross out of his heart of love. He is all of these things. He's the personal creator of the universe. He's God's personal self-revelation. And uh, he is life, spiritual life, and he's spiritual illumination. And yes, he is the Messiah who, who conquered sin and death and hell, even though he was rejected. It was through his crucifixion he won that battle. That's what this passage reveals. That's who John wants us to know Jesus is. Most profound person in all of the universe. Most important person you could ever meet or study or learn about. Now, why did he come into the world? Why did the pre-existent, all-powerful Son of God come into the world at Christmas time? Well, he tells us two reasons in this passage. Number one, he came to show us the Father. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. He has made him known. What this is saying is if you want to know what the living God of the universe is, what, what he's like, take a look at Jesus. If you want to know what, what God would say in a given situation, listen to what Jesus says. If you want to know what God would do in a given situation, watch what Jesus does. If you want to know God's perspective on any particular issue, take a look at Jesus because he's revealing the Father. One of the amazing passages, and the whole book is filled with amazing passages, but um, have you ever wondered what God's perspective is to sexual sin? Our culture is rampant with sexual sin. I mean, premarital sex, extramarital sex, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, all forms of sexual sin. So what's God's perspective towards sexual sin? Read chapter 8. They caught a woman in sexual sin. I don't know where the man was. It takes two to commit adultery, but whatever, we've got a woman, and, 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 and the law said she should be stoned, that this was a serious enough sin that, that she should lose her life by stoning. 
So they came to Jesus and said, what are you going to do, Jesus? And you can read John chapter 8. And what did he do? He leaned down and he started writing in the sand. <laughs> Doesn't say what he wrote, and that, I find that fascinating. Some people think he was writing the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Some people think maybe he was writing the names of the people around him. <laughs> but what Jesus said was, okay, the law says that this woman has committed adultery, that the just penalty for that is death by stoning. The person who is without sin, you throw the first stone. <laughs> you throw the first stone if you're without sin. And of course, all the people start sneaking away because they're on us to say, yeah, I've got sin in my life. I don't deserve to throw. And then he says to the woman, I don't condemn you either. Jesus could have thrown a stone. He was without sin. But he came to forgive, not to condemn. And um, yet he shows her grace, undeserved favor, but then he calls her to repentance. She says, he says to her, go and sin no more. Stop that destructive line of conduct in your life. Stop sinning and change the direction of your life. Grace and truth. You want to know God's perspective? Of That's how Jesus deals with all of us, whatever our sin is. But it's, you want to know how God's perspective is in a particular situation? Take a look at Jesus. He reveals the Father. He's the self-revelation, the greatest revelation of the Father. That's one of the reasons that Jesus came into the world. The second one was very clear. He came to create a family. Have you ever thought about that? He came to create a family. He started with family, and he adopted sons and daughters. What a beautiful thing. Now, I've got to tell you, 50 years ago, <laughs> 50 years ago, I don't know where it's gone, there was this really handsome young dude named Rick. I mean, awesomely handsome. And he met this beautiful young lady named Martha. And they fell wonderfully in love with each other. They loved each other so much they wanted to spend the rest of their lives loving each other. They wanted to build that love, strengthen that love, enjoy that love, fulfill that love. And so sure enough, they got married out of a heart of love for each other. And they got married. And even with the fullness of that wonderful love for each other, they thought to themselves, you know what? We want to share this love. We want this love to overflow to some other people. And so we wanted to have a family. And God gave us, first of all, this beautiful little child named Stephen. And there was more love. And the love that we had in our marriage, we shared with our son. And, and there was a fuller love. And even a more beautiful love. And then God gave us another son, and, and his name was William. And the love was expanding, and the love was growing, and there was more love to share between Martha and Rick and Steve and, and, and William. And then God gave us another son. The family was growing, and his name was Mark. And Rick and Martha looked at Mark and said, how do we get a refund? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mark was another wonderful son. If you ask him, he was the best son. And... Uh, the love continued to grow. The love continued to expand. You get the idea. And then God gave us a fourth son, Eric, another wonderful, awesome son. And that love that started in a marriage, that love that was beautiful in a marriage, grew to bless others and enjoy the benefit of others. Um, parents loving children, children loving each other, children loving parents. This is a beautiful thing. It's just an insight. It's just a little glimpse of what was going on with the Father and the Son in heaven. 
they saw the potential, if you will. They didn't just see it, they created it. That the wonderful love that they share is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's spill this over. Let's love some kids. Let's have, and by the way, those kids happen to be in desperate need. And so when we look at the fact that God came to create a family, we want to look at the takeaway from this passage. How do we enter into that family? What does that mean for us to be family? And so I want to just move from why did Jesus come into the world? Yes, he came to reveal the Father. And he came to create a family. So what's the takeaway from this passage? And as soon as I used the word takeaway, I saw Folly's eyes. Takeaway? I didn't know there was a takeaway. I'll take the barbecue plate. <laughs> no, not that kind of a takeaway. I'm talking about how do we apply this passage to our lives? What do we take away that will change our lives from this? And I want to share three things from what John reveals about this powerful person, Jesus, and why he came into the world. And here's the first one. Place your trust in Jesus. Now, I hope you already know this, and that's probably why you're at church this morning. But if you are trusting in anything else in life, if you're trusting in your good works or your good looks or anything else in life, your achievements, that doesn't cut it with God. What Jesus says, you want to be born into his family, you want to be a child of God, a son, a daughter of God, believe in Jesus. That's the whole message of gospel. And, and if you know any verse in, in John's gospel, 3.16, for God so loves you that he gave the very life of his son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him might not die, might not perish, but receive eternal life. A relationship with God that starts in this life, goes beyond death because Christ rose from the dead and lasts for eternity. <laughs> but the way you receive that is through faith. Not faith plus anything else. Just by trusting what Jesus did for you. And by the way, it's an act of grace. It's an act of undeserved favor. Where God adopted, none of us had the right to be in his family. None of us deserved to be in his family. In fact, all of us had disqualified ourselves from being in his family. Because he has perfect family. He has perfect love. And you and I don't. We all needed the forgiveness of sins. A few years back, I um, experienced uh, a couple who showed me, in a way I'd never seen before, this amazing adoptive love that God has for me. Their names uh, are George and Evelyn, and, and Martha and I met them in the first church we pastored when our boys were just little boys. We met them at the park, and, and we were like in our 30s. Uh, George and Evelyn were in their 50s. They were older, but what it, their story was they had raised a family. Their kids had grown up, and George had done really well in, in investment banking, and so he had retired in his 50s. But this was at a time when some of us are old enough to remember where, where Russia had just opened up their borders, and people were traveling from, from the United States and Canada, and they were adopting Russian kids from orphanages. Russia was filled with these orphanages, and people were going over there, and what George and Evelyn did, this, this actually happened. They walked into an orphanage in Russia, and they chose children to adopt. They actually chose the children, adopted them, took them home. And um, one of the daughters they adopted, we were living in the town of Victoria, they named her after the town we lived in, Victoria, Victoria, British Columbia. But here's the amazing thing, as George and Evelyn told their story, and it's a picture of um, what Jesus did in, his, in adopting you. Um, Jane has put up on the screen, see the little, uh, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, the little baby with a cleft palate? 
You probably know or have seen pictures of kids with cleft palates. It's, kids are born with this. It's an ugly, defer, um, you know, ugly uh, thing on their face, ugly mark on their face. George and Evelyn went into the orphanage, and, and here's the contrast. When I, if it, Martha and I actually thought about this. When we heard George and Evelyn, we had four boys, and we thought, wouldn't it be really cool to have a girl? So we started thinking, maybe we should go to Russia. If I would have gone to Russia and gone into an orphanage, I would have looked for a girl. Why? Because we already had four boys. Not only that, I would have looked for a, a pretty girl because I'd want her to be like her mom, her adoptive mom. No, I, I wouldn't choose an ugly girl. I would have looked for a little girl who was athletic. Why? Because I was an athlete and I wanted to, you know, whatever, play soccer with my little girl. I would have had criteria. I would have wanted a good-looking girl, athletic. I, you know what George and Evelyn did? They chose a baby with a cleft palate. <laughs> they chose a baby with a cleft palate. Why? Because they saw that child in her need, and they knew that a very simple operation could fix that. And that's why the picture on the right. You can fairly easily, you know, with modern technology and medicine, you can make an ugly baby a beautiful baby. And... Um, that's why they chose Victoria. They brought her back. They had an operation. And if you saw Victoria, even as a child, she was beautiful. You would have never known she had this uh, defilement, uh, ugly mark on her face because she had been healed. That's just a glimpse of what God did in your life. He looked at your life. He looked at my life. He says, there's ugliness there. There's called the ugliness of sin. This is not a pretty baby, Pastor Rick. This is not a good-looking little child. This is marred and defaced and ugly by sin. And we're all marked by that. And yet Jesus said, if I give my life on the cross, there can be healing, there can be wholeness, there can be beauty. I can make an ugly child a beautiful, a new creation. And that's exactly behind the adoption that Jesus had. And he came to adopt kids into his family. He wanted to share his love with you. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So take away number one, put your faith in Jesus. That's how you get adopted into his family. It's all by grace, and it's through faith in Jesus. What he did, suffering for your sins on the cross. So that's the starting point. But then once you do that, secondly, enjoy the blessings of God's family. Enjoy the blessing. God has given the life of his son to make you his family and the blessings of his family, it doesn't just start when you die, as amazing as that will be. Eternal life, being with the Father and the Son and the Spirit in heaven, the new creation, the resurrection body, eternal life. The blessings of the family start here and now. That's what the church is. The church is God's family. And God wants us to enjoy the blessing of his family. What does that mean? It means to be known. It means close relationships. It means to know others. It means a whole lot more, and I'm delighted that you're here on Sunday morning, but it means more than the relationships on Sunday morning. It means actually living in relationship with people. That's why we love small groups and encourage everyone to be in small groups. And if you haven't discovered that yet, let me tell you, you've got great things ahead if you will actually enter into that. I feel so blessed because uh, it was just by God's grace. When I was in my mid-20s, 23, 24 years old, I was in a church that started doing small groups. I'd never been in a small group. I thought, this is kind of weird, people meeting in people's homes, praying, studying the Bible together. Never done that before in a, in a small group setting, but I thought, I'll give it a shot. I discovered so many family blessings. I could tell you the names of the people in that group all of these years later. Um, 
Because there's family blessings, there's relationships, there's learning to love each other, there's learning to support each other, pray for each other, grow together, minister to one another. These are all the family relationships. And so if you've never tasted that, I would encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And uh, jump into a small group. By the way, they're only six, maybe eight weeks long, so you don't have to sign your life away to be involved with them. But um, we're encouraging people to jump in and experience the family blessings here and now that God wants, loving on one another, praying for one another, just being involved in relationships, knowing and being known. God has designed us, uh, as much as Pastor Mark emphasizes us as a church family, that's Jesus' idea. Uh, Pastor Mark is just picking up what Jesus wants for us, right? And so enjoy the blessings of God's family. Thirdly, and I don't want to miss this one, invite others to God's family. That's How did you become a child of God? How did you become a daughter of God, a son of God? Somebody told you about Jesus. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a youth group leader. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a colleague at work. But God says, here's how I want to spread my family. You go and tell other people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. That's how he builds his family. So I'm going to ask you, who's the willow in your life? Now, what are you talking about, Rick? This last slide, these are my three granddaughters from the mainland, okay? Now, I told you we had grandkids from the mainland. What I didn't tell you was we, sadly enough, had an incomplete Christmas in terms of the family. Why? My wonderful daughter-in-law um, travels on a Malaysian passport. She's a Malaysian citizen. She applied months in advance for her passport renewal. I won't go into all the details. She couldn't get her passport renewed. And uh, she was down at the consulate. She was doing everything she could, but... Her passport, so she couldn't travel. And uh, so she had to stay home with the baby. And we missed Julin uh, terribly for Christmas. But Steve and the other two grandkids came. And we did the best we could in the circumstances we had. But the third baby, the, the girl on the left, that's Willow. She didn't get to be, participate in Christmas. She stayed with her mom. And um, we had a missing family member. Julin, too. But... Um, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, there are willows out there in the community that, that God wants to bring home to his family Christmas. But somebody's got to tell them about Jesus so that they can put their faith in Jesus, so that they can be brought home into the family. There are missing family members yet. And my question to you is, who are the willows that God has placed in your life that aren't here yet, but God wants them here? And um, the Father wants his kids here. And so... Uh, I know in my life there are particular people that uh, Martha and I pray for every day that, um, and as we seek to, to tell them about Jesus, and there's a number of ways you can do that. You can invite them to church. You can give them a book. You can certainly pray for them. You can tell them your story. Tell them about the difference Jesus has made in your life. Uh, all of these ways just to reach out and share that family love. Jesus gave his life to create a family and, and to share his love with a broader family. And he basically calls us to do the same thing, to love other people, to tell them about Jesus. And so in that way, we can invite others into the family blessings, the family of the love of Jesus and the eternal life that he gives with that love. We're going to conclude our service this morning by uh, taking communion together. And I hope on your way in, you received one of these little packets. If not, uh, Ikaika will come down the first row and I'll invite the worship team to come forward. But um, when Jesus met for the last evening with his disciples, 
He gave them instructions to remember all that he was doing, his whole mission, that he came to give his life on the cross. And so even though these are very simple things, you can open it up. There's a little wafer there that represents his body. There's uh, the cup. If you peel it back a second time, there's uh, a little bit of grape juice there that represents his blood. And it was Jesus who said, regularly remember this love I have for you. Regularly remember that the Son of God, the pre-existent God, took a body. He came into the world. He became flesh. He had body and he had a blood and he shed that blood and he gave that body on the cross. This is what communion reminds us of. And the whole point of that death on the cross was to bring us life, spiritual life, as we place our faith in him. So as we take these emblems, let's not take it lightly. Jesus said, believe in me. And this is a way for you as a follower of Jesus to affirm that you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, for the gift of eternal life. Jesus says, those who believe in me, place their trust in me, they're my adopted sons and daughters. I give them the gift of eternal life. So let's stand together and I'll lead us in a prayer. We'll take these emblems together and then our worship team will close out our service with a song of praise. Let's pray. Fathers, we've opened your word this morning. We thank you for this wonderful passage that you have shown us this amazing person, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Son of God, the creator, the personal creator of the universe, and the self-revelation, the one who shows us what God is truly like. Lord, thank you for the love that brought you into the world. Thank you that you have displayed who the Father is, that you've shed that light into our lives. Thank you that you have invited us to be children of God, to be sons of your eternal family, to enjoy the blessings of your love and your family here and now but way beyond this life to eternity. So as we take these emblems, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Most of all, for your heart of love that motivated the entire journey, that motivated the entire cross, that was the way in which people like us who had no right to be in your family, that you've given us the right, you've adopted us, you've made us your eternal sons and daughters. Thank you for that love. We take this with loving and grateful hearts in response. In Jesus' name.